If you'll join with us tonight, we're going to have a word of prayer, and we're going to get started right now. Father, we love you so much, and as we look to your word tonight, and we continue this study in healing, we pray in Jesus' name that, Lord, you will heal us of any insecurities or any inferiority that we struggle with. Lord, we ask you to help us to see how great your salvation and your restoration of our life is. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. You know, if you go to the church app, you can download the notes and you can follow along. Those that are here with me tonight, they have uh, paper notes, but you can follow along and fill in uh, the fill-ins. And um, I'll try to just kind of double speak that's probably not the best choice of words, is it? I was kind of to say, repeat myself. So that we're doing all this real quick, and so I'm flying by the seat of my pants here just a little bit. But I want to talk to you tonight as we continue our series on healing. We have gone from physical healing now. We will return to that because I want to talk about things like cancer and heart disease later. But tonight, I just want to continue in what we've been talking about and how God heals us on the inside. And when we conclude this message, we're going to talk about the greatest healing of all. We're going to talk about that when we die, we die in Christ and the resurrection of the body. But healing was provided for us. And so I hope you'll just uh, take good notes and follow along with us. How God heals us of our insecurities. And again, I'm going to say this a few times just for other people that are joining. If you go to our church app, uh, you can download these notes. We're doing this by uh, iPhone tonight. Uh, we have friends here at the church with us, but uh, we're doing it by iPhone because the internet is out due to the power interruption we had here at the church. I was reading something in one of my books a long time ago. And I copied it, and matter of fact, when I traveled, I would use one of my uncle's names, and I would just use this as a joke, but I might would say, my uncle Junior had such an ego that when he prays, he would ask God, do you need anything? <laughs> and so I thought about that. You know, there are some people that they're really, really confident. They have a lot of self-confidence in themselves. In that same book of humor that I was reading, the guy says his cousin struggled with insecurity, and he says, I know a lot of people have inferiority complexes, and theirs are all better than my inferiority complex. And so there are some people that just really struggle with inferiority, and sometimes the people who act very confident, it's a really a mask for inferiority complexes. Most of the psychologists I've read says that 99% of us struggle with insecurities and inferiority. So welcome to the party, you know. Most everyone you meet, they struggle somewhere with inferiority or insecurity. I wrote in the notes, and if you want to jot this down, especially if you're following along at home, if I live and think that I am a nobody, then I live as a nobody. If I live and think that I'm a nobody then I will live as a nobody. <clears throat> and I can't tell you what an important concept that is to, to just think about for a few moments because so many of us have had family or friends, somebody that meant something to us that told us we would never amount to anything, that told us we weren't worth anything, or maybe we grew up in a family where we were criticized more than we were affirmed. David Seaman says that the perceived you are's of parents become the inner I am's of children. Let me say that again. The perceived you are of parents become the perceived I am's of children. 
So it's real important what we say to our children. It's real important how we correct our children. Children have to be corrected. They have to be disciplined and taught. But how we do that is very, very important. God doesn't ever tell us that we're worthless. As a matter of fact, even when we were his enemies, even when we were lost in our sins, Christ Jesus died for us. He showed us how valuable we are. So therefore, I think it's very important when it comes to healthy Healthy self-image, if I can use that phrase, to have a healthy self-image, it begins with realizing you are God's creation. God created you in his image. That's the reason that I think that the teaching of evolution that we evolved from some lower life form is so destructive to what God has intended all along for us to think about. Not only are you God's creation, but the Bible makes it very clear from Genesis through the end of the revelation, is that God loves you. And that's a fascinating statement to me. When I think about the creator of all the universe, when I think of all that there is from the tiniest electron microscopic particles, and I had the privilege recently of seeing through one of those, to the magnificence of what we can see with the Hubble Space uh, Telescope that we have, God still knows me, he knows me intimately, he loves me, and he cares about me. It's the reason that I put into your notes this passage of scripture from Ephesians 1.18 this evening. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you, those of you watching, those of you that are here with me tonight, so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he's called, his holy people, who are his, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I want you to notice that, that God would flood our hearts with light. I was reading in the Wall Street Journal just recently about the devastating floods that hit Europe this summer. And as I looked again at those pictures and those images, some of those places that uh, Becky and I have been and seeing the destruction that took place, I thought about the difference between the destruction of the flood of criticism the flood of condemnation, and the flood of the light of God's love, that when he brings that light into our lives. Years ago, I took a group of students, college students, and we went spelunking in a wild cave. It wasn't a commercial cave tour. It was a part of Mammoth Cave down in Kentucky. But it was a huge, huge, long trip. But everywhere that we shone these brilliant lights that we took down into the cave with us, there was color everywhere. There were things that without light you could not see. The handiwork of God inside. And being taken on a, a pathway so that I could see a perfectly shaped sphere, a globe as it were, inside that mountain. And remembering that the, the guide told me, he says, Pastor Clanton, you're seeing something that not many people, very few people in the world have seen. When our hearts are flooded with light, we see and we understand things about God that he reveals to us. And one of those things is his amazing love for us. That's why it is so important. Please hear me tonight. It is so important that we meditate often and we meditate frequently on this passage of scripture. For as he thinks within himself, so is he. You could, trans you could maybe, if you're a lady, write this down. For as she thinks within herself, so is she. Now, this particular passage of scripture is referring to someone that is greedy, someone that doesn't want to share, and yet they tell you on the outside they do. 
And even though they're saying the right things on the outside, what they think on the inside, their greediness, that's who they really are. And how you think about yourself, that's who you really become. A number of years ago now, I walked out these doors after service one Sunday morning. People were milling around everywhere. And just for fun, I I just yelled out right here in the foyer. I said, hey, beautiful. And all of a sudden, all these ladies started turning around going, yes, yes. And I knew then that I was pastoring some people who had a healthy self-esteem. Those ladies were saying, I'm beautiful on the inside, you know. There was this confidence that they could respond to that. But how many of us have heard somebody go, hey, dummy, and we turn around to see if they were talking to us. How many of us have struggled with something that somebody has said to us and we just naturally assume. So it's important that we think about ourselves the way God thinks about us. He created you. He loved you. He gave his son for you. David is so overwhelmed with this that in Psalms chapter 8 and verse 4, he asked this question. He said, I ask, why do you care about us humans? Why are you concerned for us weaklings? You made us a little lower than yourself and you have crowned us with glory and honor. Now think about that. You are much more than an ape. You are much more than something that just evolved. You are much more than a machine. You are much more than a primate or a mammal. You were created in the image of God, and I'm reading it to you from God's word. He has crowned you with glory, and he has crowned you with honor because he has made you just a little lower than himself. Here's what I'd like you to write down. Just take a moment and write this down. I am more than what I think. I am more than what I think. Because no matter what you think about yourself, according to Proverbs 23, 7, what God thinks about you is even more important, according to Psalms 8, 4 through 5. You are more than what you think. Now, that doesn't mean that bad things don't ever happen to us. <clears throat> My last message on this, this series on inner healing, I talked to you about how I was always the last one to be chosen for a sports team or an athletic team. A little boy came home crying after uh, baseball practice. And his mother walked in and, and she said, what's wrong? He says, I was traded I was traded. They don't want me on the team anymore. She said, honey, that's okay. Somebody else will pick you up. And he goes, you don't understand. They traded me for Harry's six-year-old sister. What is that going to do to your self-esteem and confidence as a budding young baseball? Right. It's just somebody just went like that. It just takes the wind out of your sails. All of us have difficult things that happen in our lives. We have disappointments. We have hurts. It's how we address those hurts that, that decides whether or not you and I are going to rise up and become the people God created us to be. So what I want to do tonight is look at a very unique man. In John chapter 1 and verse 26, I want us to look at the story of John the Baptist. John told the crowd, he said, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. I'm not worthy. Notice what he says. I'm not worthy to be a slave. Roman law said, Jewish law said, 
that you could not compel a slave to wash your feet or untie your sandals. That was considered the lowest thing because of, without getting too graphic, because of all the stuff that was in the streets with open sewers and everything that day. And so does that sound like a man with a healthy self-image? I mean, first of all, everybody's kind of gawking at him anyway. He's wearing camel cloth. Second of all, he's skinny. He's all living on a diet of, of locust and wild honey. I don't care how much honey you put on a locust. It ain't good, okay? I don't care who you are. He's living on this diet of locust and wild honey. This doesn't sound like a very positive self-image. This sounds like a man struggling with poor self-image, with an inferiority complex. But I submit to you tonight that John had a very strong, positive self-image because he knew who he was and who God was. You see, a healthy self-esteem, and I'm going to be real quick here for those of you taking notes, a healthy healthy self-esteem consists of a unique view of myself and a unique view of Jesus Christ. A unique view of myself and a unique view of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the view of John the Baptist and why I believe that his self-image was so positive that he was free from himself and was, had the ability to forget himself. He was free from himself and had the ability to forget himself. Remember what he said? I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. Doesn't sound very healthy. But it's because John is no longer worried about what people think about him. As a matter of fact, John doesn't even think about himself that much anymore. Paul would make this point in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. Paul was saying he'd come to the place like John the Baptist. Now, this is important. You may want to write this down. He was self-aware without being self-conscious. He was self-aware without being self-conscious. To be self-aware doesn't mean you think about yourself. It's just that you're aware that you're loved by God, you're created in His image, and that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. It's self-awareness rather than self-consciousness that goes, oh, I wonder if God likes me. Oh, I wonder if you like me. I wonder if, if, if I'm good enough, if I have any purpose in this life. That's self-consciousness. Self-awareness is God created me in his image. God loved me. God sent Jesus Christ. And Paul says he's come to the point where he says, look, My judgment about my own self, my own fruitfulness, my own abilities, my own talents, he says, it really doesn't matter. He says, because it's the Lord who's going to decide. So no matter what I think about, when I was talking to one of my, uh, actually to two of my sons today about my journals and what I've written through the years, I said, you know, one of the things you'll have to read is, I'm very honest in my journal, but one of the things you'll have to understand is, I think I have seen how I've grown from self-consciousness to self-awareness to struggling with those fears and those doubts as a young man and a young person to coming to a place where I still want to grow. I still have drive and I still have ambition, 
but hopefully that you will discover the freedom that comes not from self-consciousness, but from self-awareness. Because ultimately, you and I are going to stand before the Lord and our works are going to be judged. Remember the story in Corinthians about wood, hay, and stubble, and gold and silver and precious stones. It's God that's going to decide. So no matter what anybody else says about me, or no matter what I think about myself, and this conversation, in case you're interested, it came out of the fact that I threw away a bunch of plaques and awards. They just we're trying to get rid of a bunch of stuff, and um, Becky's in a major declutter thing right now, so we just got rid of them, and, and two of my boys said, you shouldn't have done that, and, but it doesn't matter. God is the one who will judge us. The third thing I want you to see tonight, the view of John the Baptist is not look to yourself, but look to Jesus. Not look to yourself, but look to Jesus. See, John was persuaded John the Baptist was persuaded he was at the height of his powers. He was at the height of his ministry. His influence, multitudes were coming to hear him. The politicians were coming to hear him. The Sanhedrin was coming to hear him. Everybody was talking about John the Baptist. In November, I can promise you just about around every table in America, two men's names came up all the time. That was... Donald Trump and, and Joe Biden, our president, current president, Joe Biden. Well, John the Baptist was the talk of all of Galilee and Judea and Israel. People were coming. And he suddenly, at the height of that, knowing that his ministry is going to begin to fade away, he says, I must decrease in order that he must increase. He wasn't threatened by that. He wasn't jealous of that. It reminds me of a neighboring pastor of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon filled up the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London with tens of thousands of people. And they asked the pastor of the church next door to him, which was a much smaller church. He says, do you feel insecure? Do you feel jealous? Is this fair uh, that your church is not being blessed like Spurgeon's church is being blessed? And he goes, blessed? He says, everybody that can't fit into Spurgeon's church is coming over to my church and they're hearing me preach the gospel. And so it's not a matter of who's the big deal. Jesus is the big deal. And that's what John is getting at here. He goes to all who believed him and accepted him. He gave the right to become children of God. So friends, you can A, you can be driven by what other people think of you. If you live for the approval of others, your students, your neighbors, your parents, your siblings, your church family. But that's not a healthy way to live, to be driven by what people think of you. You can be driven by what you think of yourself. And I think in some ways, there's the battle that most of us face is, what do we think of ourselves? Here's some things that I've learned from consultation with professionals and, and having worked briefly in mental health, and that is this. Look at me. Don't miss this. A psychologist cannot remove your inferiority complex. A psychiatrist cannot remove your inferiority complex. A pastor cannot remove your inferiority complex. They may help you think about it differently. They may help you segue it to another part of your personality where you're able to deal with it better. But no one, no one but Jesus can heal you of that inferiority complex. The only place to go for that solution is to the cross of Jesus Christ. 
It's why St. Augustine said, you have formed us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. It's exactly why Augustine was saying that. Because everyone wants to make, no one wants to be forgotten. No one wants to be forgotten. We want to be remembered. People build memorials to themselves. And I have been to some magnificent tombs. I'm talking about magnificent tombs. I went into the tomb of, he's not there. I went into the tomb of one man that would actually go spend the night in his tomb. And he built his tomb because he wanted people to remember him. Nobody knows his name hardly anymore at all, except for a few dusty historians. You see, no, everybody thinks somehow the only person that's always going to remember you is going to be God. When the dust of ages have settled, you will be remembered by Jesus. If anything, and this is what I've taught my sons, and this is what I've taught students, and this is what I've preached here for 20-something years, and that is, if anything, my weaknesses and my insecurities have helped me learn to depend upon Jesus Christ more than ever before. I live and confess almost every single morning, Philippians 4, 6, I can do all things through Christ Jesus which strengthens me. I can't swim across the Pacific Ocean, but I can do things, and I've done things that everybody else says is impossible. So it leads me to the third thing. You can be driven by what Christ thinks of you. You can be driven by what Jesus thinks of you. And this is a whole new way of seeing yourself. Is seeing yourself in case you came from a home where you were criticized a lot, in case you were teased a lot and criticized about maybe your disabilities when you were a child, or maybe somebody has just, a professor told you you would never make it. God sees you through Jesus Christ. And the most important person in my life is Jesus because now here's why. If I just tell you that and I don't explain that to you, it's rather sentimental and maudlin. And I wouldn't do that to you. I want you to get the truth. So hang with me for just a few minutes since we were a little late getting started tonight. It's because Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, God looked at us with a broken heart because of what sin had done to us. Adam and Eve didn't have any insecurities and inferiority in the garden. But what sin did to us and did to all of our ancestors was it broke us. And God looked at us with a broken heart and decided to do something about our weaknesses. And he sent Christ to Calvary. Listen, don't miss this. Christ took the sins of the world separated from God so that God could hold you and me, the inferiorities, the insecurities, the deepest, darkest fears that paralyze people. And maybe you've never known anyone paralyzed by fear who cannot come out of their room. Maybe you've never known anyone so insecure that they hide all of their giftings and their talents. But I have. And I've seen God deliver them and set them free. You see, as long as you think of, look at me, as long as you think about yourself, your insecurity, your insecurities, and your inferiorities, you're not going to think about Jesus. John the Baptist discovered the secret of not looking at himself, but looking at Jesus. And that's why he was able to move into the realm of self 
forgetfulness. Self-aware, but not self-conscious. Look at what he says. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What did he do? He took away my sins. When I was a child, we used to sing a song, and it was, he took my sins away, he took my sins away. I'm so happy, and that's what I say. He took my sins away. He took them all away. I wish I'd understood back in those days when I was still so sick and struggling with so much. I wish I'd understood that it wasn't just he forgave my moral wrongdoings, but he took my weaknesses and my insecurities and my inferiority and all those things. He took all of those away, and all I had to do was quit focusing upon them. Some people trust Jesus to forgive them of their moral failures, but they never trust Jesus to remake them and remold them into the image of God. You are a child of God. There was a full gospel businessman author and preacher that I got to meet. Uh, his, I can't remember his name right now, but I got to meet and talk with him and spend an afternoon with him. And he wrote a book called I'm a King's Kid. And boy, what a powerful speech he gave and sermon that he gave because he talked about even though he had been very successful in his business, he struggled still with a lot of inferiority and weaknesses, and it manifested in that he had to be better than everybody else. His business had to be better because he was trying to prove himself to himself. I love what Pastor Rick Warren says, and I believe it's in your notes tonight. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Isn't that a powerful statement? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Well, fourthly and finally tonight, here's the good news. I can be healed by faith in Christ, live for the glory of God and the good of others. How do I do that? Number one, by accepting that I'm a child of God. Number two, give up thinking that I'm the center of the world. The world doesn't revolve around me. The church doesn't revolve around me. My marriage doesn't revolve around me. My family doesn't revolve around me. It all revolves around Jesus. And that's the key. You put Jesus at the center. When you recognize, when you recognize your need for God's forgiveness and his redemption in your life, then what God did for you at Calvary was he took your sins away and he makes you, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he makes you into a new creation. All things are passed away. Some of us are holding to those old things because we don't realize we don't have to hold on to them. I'll call her Charlotte. Charlotte was a part of our church, and she struggled with so many insecurities. She struggled with so much frustration based upon the life she lived before she came to know Jesus. And by the way, I have permission to share this story. And one night in prayer with Becky, suddenly she just began weeping and crying, and she lifted her hands, and she says, I'm not that person anymore. It's gone, it's gone, it's gone. And today, she's been very successful in her career field. She's still a blessing in the congregation that she's a part of in another state in our union because she finally got her eyes off herself and got her eyes upon Jesus and realized, I don't know how he does it, but by the blood of Jesus, God washes all of our sin and the effect of our sins away. And it doesn't mean that you get that overnight. I didn't get it overnight. I had to grow into that. But once you begin to understand 
that God has healed you of your sins as well as your sicknesses. That's what Isaiah 53 says. He bore our sins and our sickness. It means he took them away. So let's close with this tonight. Galatians 5, 13 through 14. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. There's no greater freedom than freedom from thinking of yourself. Just living, thinking of Christ and others and, you know, being self-aware but not self-conscious. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your, your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbors yourself. You can take the Ten Commandments and just sum them up right there, Jesus is saying. So let me just kind of give you this for you to think about. You're watching tonight, you're here tonight, and maybe you're watching later after this Wednesday evening, but God wants to affirm you. That's why you're here tonight. God wants to affirm your sins are forgiven and that God has adopted you as his child. He is your forever daddy. The second thing is God wants you to know him. I wonder, just, just do a little internal evaluation later. If you thought about Jesus as much as you think about yourself, how different would your life be? If you thought about Christ, if you took maybe the next time you're feeling like, you know, I don't have any talents, and you look at Jesus and you say, Lord, I know you created me, you gave me talents. I know that when I was born again, you gave me a spiritual gift. As I look at you, help me to see your image in me and what you want to do for me, how you want to use me. The next time, maybe you're just feeling like, you know, I've not accomplished very much in my life. Look at Jesus and say, Lord, I've traveled further than you've ever traveled. You probably spoke to more people on Facebook than Jesus ever spoke to. You know, if you have a lot of friends on Facebook, you probably have more connections than Jesus had outside of Jerusalem. You look at him and say, Lord, I don't feel like it. Help me to see how you're using me because God is using you. And just go down that list and mirror back to Jesus what you're feeling. And then as you do that, here's what God will do. God will give you the courage to confront your fears. God, when we made our uh, prayer update today, we were talking about the service tonight. And Becky said, you know, the opposite of all of that is courage. I said, Becky, that's good. That's not in my outline. She says, go write that in your outline. So I'm giving credit where credit's due there. You see, God gives us courage. So write this down. What are the painful people? What are the painful places? What are the painful experiences of your past that have contributed to any insecurities or inferiority that you are experiencing. Sometimes people come to me and they say, Pastor, I can't even go to this town because it brings back so many bad memories. Or this song will come up on the radio and it'll change my whole day because it brings back bad memories. Somebody said to me, I can hear one name. It's a common name. And he told me the name. He said, every time I hear that name, he says, it brings up bad memories. And so I avoid as much as possible as his pastor using that name. Sometimes I have to call somebody's name out, and it's that name. But I know that God is healing him. But you have to have the courage to confront them. And here's why you're confronting them. You're not, this is important, you're not confronting them to blame them. 
You can't blame anybody for your choices. You can't blame your mama. You can't blame your daddy. You can't blame your pastor. You can't blame God. You can't blame anybody for your choices, but you can forgive them. And when you forgive them, you're releasing it. You're letting it go. And the only way you can let it go is to forgive someone and to love them. Because if you hold a grudge, if you continue to blame them, look at me, if you blame the town, you blame the song, you blame the person, you're attaching yourself to them. Do you know one of the ways that Greeks would execute someone that had betrayed them or murdered someone? They would tie their body to the corpse face to face. They would tie them and they would let the diseased corpse and the parasites that attack that corpse, the birds that attack, slowly devour the living person. And that's what happens when we refuse to forgive somebody because we have chained ourselves to them. Only forgiveness, only loving somebody. Come, come back to me. You're stuck on the painful memory there I just gave you. It's come back to me here. The only way is to forgive them and let Jesus break the yoke, let him cut the fetters. And finally, as we say here at Woodland, be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Because the more you walk with Jesus like John, you'll constantly be saying to other people, look to Jesus, look to the Lamb of God. And isn't it interesting that he said Lamb of God? Because a lamb, you can do whatever you want to do with it. When you get ready to sacrifice it, you lay it down. It won't fight with you. It won't fuss with you. It'll simply yield to you. And God in his son yielded to the penalty of our sins so that you could be cut free from the things of this world, the sins of this world that would destroy your life the way the victim of the person that was judged by the Greeks was. Does that make sense? Okay, all right, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And I thank you, the Lord, for somebody listening tonight, a healing from the past and a healing of insecurities and inferiority, Lord. God, that it will be just as miraculous as someone that was healed from cancer or heart disease or any other miracle that could have happened. And so tonight, Lord, as we get ready to close this time of teaching in this message and we sit down and discuss here, we pray that, God, you will give us leadership and guidance and direction, and, Lord, that you would heal our friends in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks so much for watching. I'm going to reach over here and shut this off, and then we're going to spend some time talking together here tonight. Good night.